Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. There are those for whom work becomes an obsession to the detriment of their personal lives. Well, the businessman in our next story gives new meaning to the modern term workaholic in the romance of a busy broker by O. Henry. Pitcher, confidential clerk in the office of Harvey Maxwell Broker, allowed a look of mild interest and surprised to visit his usually expressionless countenance when his employer briskly entered at half-past nine in company of his young lady stenographer. With a snappy, Good morning, pitcher. Maxwell dashed at his desk as though he were intending to leap over it and then plunged into the great heap of letters and telegrams waiting there for him. The young lady had been Maxwell's stenographer for a year. She was beautiful in a way that was decidedly unstenographic. She forewent the pomp of the alluring pompadour. She wore no chains, bracelets, or lockets. She had not the air of a being about to accept an invitation to luncheon. Her dress was gray and plain, but it fitted her figure with fidelity and discretion. In her neat black turban hat was the gold-green wing of a macaw. On this morning she was softly and shyly radiant. Her eyes were dreamily bright, her cheeks genuine peach blow her expression a happy one, tinged with reminiscence. Pitcher, still mildly curious, noticed a difference in her ways this morning. Instead of going straight into the adjoining room where her desk was, she lingered, slightly irresolute, in the outer office. Once she moved over by Maxwell's desk, near enough for him to be aware of her presence. The machine sitting at that desk was no longer a man. It was a busy New York broker, moved by buzzing wheels and uncoiling springs. "'Well, what is it? Anything?' asked Maxwell sharply. His opened mail lay like a bank of stage snow on his crowded desk. His keen gray eye, impersonal and brusque, flashed upon her half impatiently. "'Nothing,' answered the stenographer, moving away with a little smile. "'Mr. Pitcher,' she said to the confidential clerk, did Mr. Maxwell say anything yesterday about engaging another stenographer? He did, answered Pitcher. He told me to get another one. I notified the agency yesterday afternoon to send over a few samples this morning. It's 9.45 o'clock and not a single picture hat or piece of pineapple chewing gum has showed up yet. I will do the work as usual then, said the young lady, until someone comes to fill the place and she went to her desk at once and hung the black turban hat with the gold-green macaw wing in its accustomed place. He who has been denied the spectacle of a busy Manhattan broker during a rush of business is handicapped for the profession of anthropology. The poet sings of the crowded hour of glorious life. 
The broker's hour is not only crowded, but the minutes and seconds are hanging to all the straps and packing both front and rear platforms. And this day was Harvey Maxwell's busy day. The ticker began to reel out jerkily its fitful coils of tape. The desk telephone had a chronic attack of buzzing. Men began to throng into the office and call at him over the railing jovially, sharply, viciously, excitedly. Messenger boys ran in and out with messages and telegrams. The clerks in the office jumped about like sailors during a storm. Even Pitcher's face relaxed into something resembling animation. On the exchange, there were hurricanes and landslides and snowstorms and glaciers and volcanoes, and those elemental disturbances were reproduced in miniature in the broker's offices. Maxwell shoved his chair against the wall and transacted business after the manner of a toe dancer. He jumped from ticker to phone, from desk to door, with the trained agility of a harlequin. In the midst of this growing and important stress, the broker became suddenly aware of a high-rolled fringe of golden hair under a nodding canopy of velvet and ostrich tips, an imitation sealskin sack, and a string of beads as large as hickory nuts ending near the floor with a silver heart. There was a self-possessed young lady connected with these accessories, and Pitcher was there to construe her. Lady from the stenographer's agency to see about the position, said Pitcher. Maxwell turned half around with his hands full of papers and ticker tape. What position? he asked with a frown. Position of stenographer, said Pitcher. You told me yesterday to call them up and have one sent over this morning. You are losing your mind, Pitcher, said Maxwell. Why should I have given you any such instructions? Miss Leslie has given perfect satisfaction during the year she has been here. The place is hers as long as she chooses to retain it. There's no place open here, madam. Counterman that order with the agency pitcher and don't bring any more of them in here. The silver heart left the office, swinging and banging itself independently against the office furniture as it indignantly departed. Pitcher seized a moment to remark to the bookkeeper that the old man seemed to get more absent-minded and forgetful every day of the world. The rush and pace of business grew fiercer and faster. On the floor, they were pounding half a dozen stocks in which Maxwell's customers were heavy investors. Orders to buy and sell were coming and going as swift as the flight of swallows. Some of his own holdings were imperiled and the man was working like some high-geared, delicate, strong machine, strung to full tension, going at full speed, accurate, never hesitating, with the proper word and decision and act ready and prompt as clockwork. Stocks and bonds, loans and mortgages, margins and securities. Here was a world of finance, and there was no room in it for the human world or the world of nature. When the luncheon hour drew near, there came a slight lull in the uproar. Maxwell stood by his desk with his hands full of telegrams and memoranda, with a fountain pen over his right ear, and his hair hanging in disorderly strings over his forehead. His window was open, for the beloved janitress spring had turned on a little warmth through the waking registers of the earth. And through the window came a wandering, perhaps a lost odor, a delicate, sweet odor of lilac that fixed the broker for a moment immovable. For this odor belonged to Miss Leslie. It was her own, and hers only. The odor brought her vividly, almost tangibly before him. The world of finance dwindled suddenly to a speck, and she was in the next room, twenty steps away. By George, I'll do it now, said Maxwell, half aloud. 
I'll ask her now. I wonder I didn't do it long ago. He dashed into the inner office with the haste of a short trying to cover. He charged upon the desk of the stenographer. She looked up at him with a smile. A soft pink crept over her cheek, and her eyes were kind and frank. Maxwell leaned on one elbow on her desk. He still clutched fluttering papers in both hands, and his pen was above his ear. "'Miss Leslie,' he began hurriedly, "'I have but a moment to spare. I I want to say something in that moment. Will you be my wife? I haven't had time to make love to you in the ordinary way, but I really do love you. Talk quick, please. Those fellows are clubbing the stuffing out of Union Pacific.' "'Oh, what are you talking about?' exclaimed the young lady. She rose to her feet and gazed upon him round-eyed. "'Don't you understand?' said Maxwell restively. "'I want you to marry me. I love you, Miss Leslie. I wanted to tell you, and I snatched a minute when things had slackened up a bit. They're calling me for the phone now. Tell them to wait a minute, Pitcher. Won't you, Miss Leslie?' The stenographer acted very queerly. At first she seemed overcome with amazement. Then tears flowed from her wandering eyes. And then she smiled sunnily through them, and one of her arms slid tenderly about the broker's neck. I know now, she said softly. It's this old business that has driven everything else out of your head for the time. I was frightened at first. Don't you remember, Harvey? We were married last evening at eight o'clock in the little church around the corner. William Henry Porter, better known as O. Henry, led a short, albeit intriguing, life. Before he died in New York City in 1910 at the age of 47, Porter was a pharmacist, sheep ranch hand, draftsman, banker, and prolific author of short stories. And by the way, he was also a convicted embezzler who served time in federal prison. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lit Reading. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll keep listening. I would also please ask that you spread the word. Uh, Go to Apple Podcasts and click on the follow button, because that really does help boost us in the Apple rankings, and that's where most people turn for podcasts like this. Uh, You can also rate us at Apple Podcasts and write a review, which I love, or you can rank the show now at Spotify if you're a Spotify listener. Thanks again for listening. Spread the word. Put it up on your social media. Just link to some of the stories you like best, and keep telling your friends, and keep listening, and I really appreciate you so very much. I'm Don McDonald.